Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Yesterday, as you may know, was the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. It was also the art show here in the neighborhood and our annual St. George's Cafe fundraiser. Along with our usual uh, church tours and, and our organ recitals, we, we offered a short service of prayer during the day um, at 2 p.m. And during that time, I shared some of my own remembrances about that day and its aftermath. I remember in the days that followed the profound sense of solidarity, solemnity, um, and seriousness, sobriety that we all felt. Um, the tragedy caused us all to reflect on the things that really matter in life and to hold our loved ones a bit closer. We had all been through a collective trauma and we were grieving together. Many of us turned to our faith at that time, trying to find comfort, hope, meaning, and guidance in a world that suddenly felt more dangerous and uncertain than it did before. Um, I myself was one of them. The events of that day left a deep impression on me that set the course for the rest of my life. Um, I was a sophomore in college. I was uh, really just um, beginning to be an adult and to try to understand what my place is in the world, what I was meant to do with my life. And I don't think I would be here today as your priest as someone who has dedicated his life to the service of the gospel, if it had not been for those attacks on September 11th. Um, really, um, there was that time and there was everything after. Um, and there's an important lesson to be learned in all of this. Um, as much as we resist, as much as we pray to avoid it, that, that God might let uh, this cup pass us by. It's ultimately the experience of pain, sorrow, and confusion that is the catalyst for growth and transformation in our life. Um, the Son of Man must first undergo great suffering before entering into his glory. In this morning's gospel, Jesus speaks of his own imminent rejection and his, his suffering. And Peter's disturbed by this idea, and he tells him, That be far from you, Lord. Like, may this never happen. Please, no, no. And Jesus, in return, offers him a, a sharp rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. Or get behind me, adversary, opponent, right? Um, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. 
The blessings uh, of the gospel, um, that the, 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 um, the happiness it brings, are spiritual rather than material. They are divine. Right? They're spiritual things. If we only look to Jesus because we seek um, worldly comfort, uh, a, a more comfortable life, uh, contentment in this world or gain, our, our minds are set not on the things of God, but on human things. The Christian life is not about these things. It's not about glorifying ourselves, but glorifying God. If we want to become Jesus' followers, if we want to live as he lived, and to do the things that he did, he tells us that we must take up our cross. This is what it means to be disciples of Christ rather than just uh, consumers of a blessing that we suppose him to offer. Um, but what does taking up our cross mean? For Jesus' original hearers, the expression had a very clear and startling message. And it wasn't really a religious message. The cross was a method of execution used by the Roman Empire against political dissidents. It was humiliating, it was shameful, it was terrifying and, ex and an excruciating way to die. This is what it meant to them. Remember that at the time Jesus spoke these words, he had not yet suffered on the cross. It wasn't a religious symbol cast in silver and gold and diamonds. It hadn't been spiritualized. This was an earthly reality, the cross. Um, his disciples did not in any way connect the cross with Jesus' victory over sin. The idea of cross, victory, strength, counterintuitive. Jesus was saying, if you want to follow me, it means willingly accepting the rage, contempt, and aggression of the world. It means being willing to be stripped, tortured, and murdered. It means becoming an enemy to the empire and a byword to all respectable people. This isn't a great selling point. Right? If, 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 if you're uh, uh, taking your child on a tour of a college, as Dr. Taylor did with his daughter recently, they're not going to say, oh, you should come here. You're going to suffer a lot. You're going, to, you're going to be despised. You're going to be humiliated. It's going to be awful. Please, enroll in our program. Come be our student. No, um, he couldn't have made being his disciple seem less attractive. His point wasn't, of course, that we somehow earn our way to God's favor through suffering. Um, but he was warning us that following him would not always be easy. In our own context, the, the prospect of painful execution for following Jesus is maybe a less immediate concern. Um, taking up our cross is taken on a much broader meaning. Uh, it means self-denial. Uh, sometimes our ego tells us that we will just die if we don't have something. 
Right? Uh, all of our hopes, desires are bound up in that thing, and saying no to it is painful. Uh, now an act of self-denial of this sort may uh, not even be remotely similar to crucifixion, but for you, it might be a small way in which you begin to put Jesus' words into practice. How so? Well, it, it contradicts the attitude that says, my feelings, my desires, my comfort, my, my personal happiness is my main goal in life. Self-denial means pushing self off of the throne and inviting God to take its place. Self-denial means putting others above myself. It means being willing to deny myself for a purpose beyond myself. It means sacrificing for a greater cause. It means recognizing that my life is not my own to do with whatever I want, but that I belong to God. I was created for a purpose and bought with a price. Self-denial might mean putting aside my feelings to do something kind for someone I dislike. Self-denial might mean giving to the church or to the poor instead of buying myself a new pair of shoes. Um, Self-denial might mean getting up early for church when I would rather sleep in. Self-denial might mean skipping lunch and spending that time in prayer instead. We all know that sometimes in life we need to practice sacrifice, discipline, and self-denial if we want to be happy. Um, It might seem in the short term that sitting at home all day watching Netflix and eating junk food will make me happier than going to work. But in the long run, uh, the, the effect that it has on my health, my finances will not make me happy at all, right? We know that. We learn that lesson somehow, hopefully, in the process of growing up. Um, but there's still more to learn, right? Um, it, in fact, we may need to examine what happiness really means. Too often, our notions of what true happiness consists of are rather shallow. Happiness is getting what we want, right? Uh, happiness means never denying ourselves or its demands. Happiness, we think, is avoiding the unpleasantness of life, avoiding pain, avoiding struggle. But Jesus has bewildering ideas of what happiness consists of. He says mind-boggling, insane things like happy are the poor. And happy are you when people curse you and revile you. Happiness, it seems, consists not in the satisfaction of self, but in finding the fulfillment and consolation of knowing God. The happy life is ultimately not the one that avoids pain or sorrow, but the one that finds meaning in the midst of that pain. Jesus says that our efforts at securing our own well-being are misguided. If we try to save our own life, if we cling so tightly to this world and the things that this world offers, we will never find the happiness that we seek, that is our destiny as children of God. 
Ultimate fulfillment will slip through our fingers and the life we tried so hard to save will lie in ruins. If instead we lay down our lives, if we give ourselves for things that are greater than us, if we live for God above self, then surprisingly we will find true fulfillment and joy. Today we do hear something different from Jesus' call to take up our cross and to follow him. We inevitably perceive that call through the lens of his atoning death and sacrifice for the sins of the world, through the pain and suffering that he endured for our sake. We may not be asked to suffer heroic martyrdom like Christ or, or our fathers and mothers in the faith, but all of us are asked to embrace the inevitable sorrow, struggle, and pain of life as our own cross. To know that whatever we suffer, He suffers with us, alongside of us as our captain, as our representative, as our savior. Our suffering does not need to lead us to despair. It does not need to estrange and to alienate us from God and from our neighbor. If we embrace it with faith as the cross we have been given to bear in this life, it can make us stronger. It can open our eyes more profoundly to the depth of God's love and grace. Our pain can teach us what matters in this life. It can show us the way to live. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.